Why can't we meet in the middle? See my side just a little. The answer's not that tough a riddle. It's that we meet. All right. The Middle with Kenneth Smith. Um, today, we are going to talk about how we can impact the community with a community uh, response team. And I have the experts, our co-hosts today. I have two co-hosts today for the first time ever. And so, as you know, The Middle is about learning and understanding things from the middle of the, of the world, uh, the middle of thought, and the middle of America. And so today, we're bringing in some great community organizers, leaders in the community, Mr. Jacob Rayford, community organizer uh, with many different organizations and many different things um, on the streets during um, our longest protest in here in, in Phoenix, Arizona, as well as um, involved in even to this day involved with different community activism throughout Arizona. Um, and we are so thankful to have him. And Sam Merton is also a community organizer and he is here um, on behalf of the new proposal that they're going to work. They're going to talk about today which is um, based on a model of cahoots, but then they have now translated that into no cap. Yes? Yes. All right. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, so th there is like, um, so it, it is based off of um, mm -hmm. uh, cahoots, uh, but more more importantly, um, the, if you, uh, well, first off, neighborhood, um, no cap stands for Neighborhood Organized Crisis Assistance Program. Mm -hmm which is um, modeled after both CAHOOTS and... And the uh, Portland Street Response Team. Yes. And that's why you guys are the experts. We're going to talk about it. So I want you to first introduce yourselves. Um, I introduce you, but I want you to introduce yourself, talk about a little about what yourself and the things you're doing, and then some of the things that you're doing. We'll talk, we'll go with Jacob first, and then we'll go into what, where this originated from. Um, I want to first say that uh, part of the Unity Collective, um, uh, Jacob Rayford is a leader in the Unity Collective, was that we wanted to do a community response team to take a lot of the responsibility from the police force and um, move that away and make it more community-based. Some of the things we were just in the proposal to the demands of the governor was, um, you know, the unsheltered community supporting them, mm. domestic violence, mm. um, health care, um, anything that has to deal with um, drug use or abuse, um, offering social workers and support, that kind of thing. We were not the only ones in the UDD Collective to feel that way. A lot of the community had already been working on some of those things, and we just happened to um, bring people together in one thought for one purpose. That's one thing we all agreed on right. um, in June and July of, of 2020, um, um, bringing this. And then all of a sudden, um, in a, a couple of months ago, we got Sam here <laughs> mm -hmm. and Jacob who said, hey, look, we, we have a model for what that could look like somewhere else, which you guys just talked about. And then now we want to bring that to, to Phoenix, Arizona. So we're very thankful to have thoughtful minds working on policy that serves the community. So first, I want to um, uh, Jacob Rayford, please talk about some of the work that you're doing before you got involved in the cahoots. Oh, yeah. So I've uh, been part of, um, you know, like uh, Kenneth said, one of the uh, longest uh, sustained protests um, well, really the longest in Phoenix history yeah. um, that centered around, um, you know, liberating black and uh, brown lives, um, you know, from, you know, the hands of systemic racism and prejudice enacted by the police department, as well as uh, the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. Um, so that saw protests taking place from the end of May of 2020 up until around um, uh, right after the election season in November. Uh, it was tumultuous to say the least. Um, there was a uh, a lot of aggression at, from the uh, perspective from the hands of the police department looking to aggressively shut down this movement. 
Um, same, the same with the Maricopa County Attorney's Office, also taking into consideration that um, their head prosecutor was uh, at risk of being voted out. So obviously political prosecution comes into play and there's just a lot of things that came with that. But um, with that, you know, um, we're able to uh, find other ways to really get on the offensive in terms of applying change. Um, found myself appointed to the uh, city of Tempe uh, uh, Public Safety Advisory Task Force, which is um, head by uh, uh, Mayor Corey Woods. And um, while the um, the talks and uh, the the direction was that with that is to um, change, uh, examine and change the policies of the the police department and how it most directly impacts um, the black and brown and unsheltered native communities, um, those who have been marginalized and disproportionately targeted. Um, so we're looking to see that translate into something that's beneficial for that community. And, um, you know, there's other aspects that we're, we're looking to, uh, you know, apply and um, find ourselves in in order to bring about change. And, you know, now we're here uh, speaking about no cap. I can go ahead and, Pivot is off to uh, Sam here. Yes, Sam Merchant. Tell us, community organizer and obviously researcher, let us know how it's going. What what, what got you here? <laughs> so uh, um, during the protests um, in Phoenix, I was a, a National Lawyers Guild legal observer for most of those. Um, during that time, I was sort of working on this at the same moment, um, reaching out to... Whitebird Clinic, which is the uh, clinic that runs Cahoots. Um, and I guess those are pretty much the two main things I've, I've got going on with this uh, legal observer and then this uh, no cap mm-hmm. program. Well, as a legal observer, we thank you because, yeah. you know, you're keeping us uh, out of jail. Well, well tried, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it helped. Um, it helps. Um, it could have been a lot worse, you know. And so I want to point out this just just for the for the for the record is that uh, Jacob obviously is African-American. Right. Well, since they obviously, but I'm looking at him, he's African-American. Yeah. <laughs> and Sam Merton is a, uh, a white ally and co-conspirator uh, with us. Right. He uh, he exactly. a, a co-conspirator in the sense of he's here. And that's what the middle is about, is bringing people together from all backgrounds to talk about how we can serve and support the community. So as a legal observer um, who's also a white male, he's obviously saw a need to support the community. And he's come to an elevated melanin voices and, and supporting um, us to help us support our community. So we yeah. thank you, Sam. Uh, for being um, courageous enough to step out in front and step side by side with us in order for us to be able to move things forward in policy. Um, so appreciate that. Now, let's go on to who wants to talk about the origins of Cahoots. You probably know a little more about that, right? Sure. Um, <laughs> so Cahoots started in Eugene, Oregon. There was a, a clinic, Weiberg Clinic, who wanted to help out in their community Um and they just started um, going out on their own to um, help out, like, <clears throat> this was within the 60s, I think. So it was, like, helping people who were unsheltered or people who were um, had drug overdoses and stuff mm-hmm. and not really reporting any of that to the police department, just doing it on their own. And that sort of evolved into um, the Cahoots program as it is now. And they were able to, because they had so much trust in their community already, mm-hmm. they were able to really get that going um, and be sustainable. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the things that, that they do now to support the community in 
uh, Eugene, Oregon? Well, um, when someone dials 911, dispatchers, mm-hmm. Dispatch. they, they're trained to know to filter calls to cahoots. So they go out. So the, so the, so the purpose of the cahoots now, cause you, they, they originated when it was helping with drug users and stuff like that. Right. And so, and as they move forward to today, you get the, the you call 911. Right. You get a dispatch. You don't get. Part, you get a dispatch, right? And then the yeah. dispatch decides where they would like to send the support, wh- who sends out what support where, right? Yeah. And one of the people that are on the list is this Cahoots. Is right. that what you're telling me? That they yeah. that they can filter the calls too. Is that accurate? That is accurate. All right. So how did they get on the list? <laughs> how, so, how, how did Cahoots get on yes, the list? Yes, how did Cahoots get on the list? So let's let's find out. So go ahead and talk about it, Jacob. Well, so really with Cahoots, is, um, with Whitebird Clinic, they're acknowledged as an independent first responder unit. So, mm. you know, how they are on the list is how, you know, the other emergency services are on the list because they, they, they're comparable. So, um, you know, just through 30 years of, uh, you know, serving the community as, uh, you know, professionals who show up with uh, typically two, uh, two units, um, you know, uh, social workers, individuals trained or trained with um, mental health and uh, various um, forms of expertise in that specific, uh, that specific mental health uh, field and, um, and all that. And they show up as um, your firefighters show up, but for specific things that are like non-criminal, non-violent, and they are more or less, um, you know, this is a life uh, preservation unit. Mm. You know, they don't show up as um, individuals who are looking to uh, acknowledge someone as like a person of interest. These are people that are experiencing uh, certain levels of hardship, like Sam was talking about, like, uh, you know, drug overdoses or, um, you know, uh, calling because of the unsheltered community. Um, They'll do things like mental Uh, health. Yeah. 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 Like they'll they'll, they'll provide resources. They'll Mm -hmm. provide snacks. You know, they'll sit there as um, there this individual is, um, you know, coming down from a high or something like that, because um, while that's that's great out there, how we can bring it out here is, you know, there is this this um, understandable, justified, historic fear of I'm calling 911 because I'm experiencing this. A cop might show up. This may lead to some sort of negative reaction or mm-hmm. um, I may be harmed. I may be jailed, um, you know. We, we, we have communities that are um, predatorily targeted by ICE. So that's a whole different conversation in itself. But if you have like units that are trained um, from like a holistic, like uh, almost naturopathic standpoint that, that are here to help you, um, you know, that there there's a, a need for that here. I know I kind of segued no, from okay. the origins in, in, in Eugene, but uh-huh. you know, we wanted to like kind of um, make it something new. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. We're going to make it something Pro- new. Provide like a, a personal touch for Phoenix and how this Absolutely. impacts us. Directly. And I like the fact that you said it's a life preservation unit. That's something that we haven't really said out loud. Right. Because the idea of the police force is that they're supposed to be the life preservation unit, but that's not the origins of a police force. Um, you know, policing is supposed to be a peace officer. That's the origins of it. Right. The peace officer's oath. However, um, it was rooted and people talk about this and we talk about this with our abolitionist folks. This is rooted in, in, in capturing of slaves and slavery and, and that kind of thing. It's not rooted in the idea that um, it's to, preserve life at all time, at all costs, right? It is to create order at all costs and, and, and to uh, apply the law appropriately at all costs. So when you're talking about someone's having a mental health crisis, right? 
or um, in need of, you know, like you said, drug use or something of that nature, do they, is their first reaction need to be a police officer? Right. That's the question we were, that's the question we're answering. Does their first reaction need to be a police officer? The answer we say are no. Right. Right. They need some life preservation unit to come out and support them. And that's what now, as we segue into no cap, this is what you're creating from that Eugene, Eugene, Oregon model to now the Phoenix model. So explain what no cap stands for and um, the purpose of it here in Phoenix. Sure. So no cap stands for neighborhood organized crisis assistance program. And the purpose of it in Phoenix would be sort of the same thing in Oregon. We want if someone uh, needs like a welfare check, which is like the main one in Phoenix, like these or these, this separate entity would be going out to those type of calls. Um, and it would be the only entity going there. What type of calls? What type of calls would they be going for? Um, so Yeah, the, the type of calls that, I mean, noise complaints, welfare checks, trespassing, civil matters, suspicious persons, mental health checks, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, with um, uh, substance abuse, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the conversation about uh, types of domestic violence calls can, can, can be placed under there because we know that, um, you know, it's that that is a large conversation in itself. And mm-hmm. at times... Um, you know, since it, everything does fall under the police, um, showing up to a specific type of domestic violence call could still lead to, um, you know, uh, escalation of Mm -hmm. violence from the police department because of the culture of police, uh, in, in, in general. Mm -hmm. And that's more or less what we're addressing through this, through this program is just hyper aggressive police culture. I mean, when you look at um, God Rest His Soul with um, Anthony Cano uh, in Chandler, Arizona, he died because at the end of the day, a uh, bike light, a light on his bicycle. He was chased and shot and executed. When we look at the reasons behind that, we look at aggressive policing Mm -hmm. and uh, we cannot trust a, a police. You know, you said the etymology is rooted in slave catching and bounty hunting. Mm-hmm. So if it's just genetically rooted in the, the, the nature of policing to uh, lead with persons of interest and treating people like a suspect and a potential threat, then how can you expect them to naturally understand that, you know, just dealing with the nuances of like mental health crises and right, things like that. Right. So that's what this is going to address. And, you know, we have Sam to, to, to thank for bringing this idea to the table and, and letting it germinate. Yes. Yes, Sam. Yeah. So um, in general, it's pretty much any nonviolent or non-criminal call. Mm-hmm. We're wanting this uh, entity to respond to. So some big ones that um, Jacob mentioned as well, it's like something like trespassing. Mm-hmm. That can that can mean anything from like an unsheltered person hanging out in front of um, like a Circle K mm-hmm. or like someone. Vagrancy? Like vagrancy. Yeah, vagrancy mm-hmm. or like suspicious person. Like someone, um, someone calls and says like someone's hanging out in my street like, there's no reason police should be going to those, but mm-hmm. they are, and they're not really trained to deal with um, or even really want to deal with any of these types of situations. Um, another big one that happened in Phoenix um, that I think about is uh, Muhammad Muhammad. Mm-hmm. He was just trying to use the bathroom, um, and police responded to that in like a pretty awful way. If this program existed, 
um, they would have been the ones to respond to that. And right. they could have transported mm. him to another location where he could have used the bathroom. Right. Or just had a rep- somebody to, to represent him because, you know, people do stratify in this society. So it, it is good to have someone who's there who has their back and, and acknowledges them as another human just like they are. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you see these suspicious calls. And, you know, like Sam said, it's just somebody who's just in the area moving by or, mm-hmm. you know, like a saw... I saw a video about there's an unsheltered individual who was attempting to, in, in his own privacy, use, use the restroom and seeing comments on that and how people, you know, just disparage and disrespect this individual when, you know, they're trying to do something as intimate that, you know, it, it's something that we intimately experience ourselves. Like there, there is just this nature of people looking down on certain individuals in society. And we right. want right. A, a unit that is going to lead with, you know, treating everybody with that same level of empathy and equity that they would expect. Yes. And we can also go into another one. I mean, we, we speak their names. We speak their names. Um, Elijah McClain, you mm-hmm. know, who was walking down the street, had on all black. The police officers came up to them and literally murdered that little boy. Right. Young man, actually. And um, had that particular organization in Colorado had or police force had something like this, it wouldn't have been the police going out or a suspicious guy walking down the street. He was just walking down the street. So how many lives could be changed? And I say this rhetorically by having something like this. It can, it's countless. And particularly it's black and brown lives because we know that our interaction with the police officers are not as favorable as our white counterparts. And that, you know, if we're not, um, us under some idea of getting arrested or getting the felony, which, you know, is the, is the scarlet letter of the society right now or or death. That's our interaction with the police. We're rarely released to do, be able to live our lives and be able to invoke our constitutional rights like we're supposed to. So I think it's important for us to talk about that. And I think it's important for us to bring invoke the, the, the names of folks who were just walking down the street or just needed mental health support or just needed um, support here and there where they were not. And we have many of videos and many of names of people who have done that, who have who've not made it out of uh, of the interaction with the police simply because of something that anyone would normally do walk down the street. You know, Um, and so it's important for us to bring this to the forefront. Now, we talk about no cap. What type of professionals will be part of this unit? Because it's not going to just be anybody. Obviously, it's going to be people, I'm assuming, like social workers and people like that. So let's talk about who are the qualified individuals who will be part of no cap. Um, Yeah, so social workers is a big one. Um, Also, people trained in like de-escalation. Medical workers who, like, are trained in, a, like, emergency response stuff. Um, those are the two big ones. Like, we just want to make sure, like, these people are professionally trained. Um, mm-hmm. All of them are trained in de-escalation. And they come from a background of, I guess, caring about people. Right. Um, yeah. Um, so, you know, of course, like Sam said, you know, people that are, are professionally trained, you know, things are things that require certification, um, schooling, things of that nature, you know, just some sort of um, um, confirmation that they are skilled in a subject matter. And what he was saying about, like, um, you know, people who don't lead from the the uh, the, the perspective of policing, 
Right. Um, we don't even like to use the term community policing because you know, there's just the, the negative connotation that mm-hmm. comes with policing. Mm-hmm. We don't care about, you know, and this may be politicized, but it is what it is. We don't care about your uh, standing from a legal standpoint. We don't care about mm-hmm. the conversation of uh, citizenship or any of that uh, language that's been weaponized a- a- against um, uh, the brown community sp- community specifically mm-hmm. uh, we don't report to ice that none of this is of our concern what is our concern is that you have an opportunity to have your needs taken care of and you can go about your life mm-hmm. and then we can continue to service the community because at the end of the day this is a uh, this is uh, a quintessentially s- about like a uh, uh, servicing the community right service right, right. service and, and emphasis on service and majority of the policing that happens, all these things that you guys are talking about, police, 90% of their calls are this, are this stuff. Right. It's true. And so people don't understand that. And I think that's something for most folks to understand is that, you know, the, the we love looking at movies and seeing the police run down the street and, you know, cops and robbers and that kind of thing. But that is probably 10% of their actual calls that they get. The other 90% is this community, um, the the domestic violence calls or the vagrancy calls or the, the attempt to try to, in some instances, harass people out of certain areas. Um, and we know that there's a, a need for law and order in some aspects, but ultimately that is not what police are trained for. They are not trained to be a community response team. A community response team is, is trained to be a community response team. Right. Policing is supposed to be, if you break the law, I have to arrest you. If I come and talk to you, I need to, you know, there's some reason why I'm coming to engage with you in some legal matter, right? And my my goal is to keep you keep whoever's around safe and put you somewhere where you have, cannot hurt other people, jail, right? right? So the purpose of a police interaction is to incarcerate, is to arrest, they are not trained, nor are they do they understand fully how to deal with the community in a way that we're talking about. They're not social workers. They're not mental health professionals. They're not um, people who are, are, are gifted in de-escalation techniques. Because if they were, we wouldn't be in the situation we're in right now, right? right. <laughs> yeah, soldiers are not surgeons, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm not going to go to my primary care provider to work on my retinal detachment issue. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to go to uh, an ophthalmologist or whatever. Yes. Like, why are you going to treat this this issue just kind of general broad stroke of police department for mm-hmm. so many ish- things that they're not trained with? We talk about like trained in mental health. They themselves need mental health assistance because mm-hmm. they incur so much trauma on a daily basis, and because of police culture, because of bro culture, they mm-hmm. compartmentalize that, and mm-hmm. then it they it comes out whether they realize it or it's subconscious mm-hmm. on the community. So if I'm showing, if I call and I'm, you know, I'm having uh, one thing we didn't, we, we, we didn't mention that mm-hmm. is very important is like suicide risks. If, mm-hmm. if, uh, and, and especially right now with COVID and all this trauma yes. going on, if I call because I'm having mental distress and I'm on like, I'm having suicidal ideations and stuff like that. If the officers show up and they already, have been to calls where some it didn't work and someone took their life or um, three months ago they saw a, a deceased infant or something like that and they're just ha- they're having that moment and again if you play race into the issue I'm 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 a black male um, it can go either way and then mm-hmm. you know you're showing up to assist me and now I'm dead <laughs> you know like this happens a lot unfortunately yeah, this ha- yeah. yeah that happened with that um the uh, the young young woman. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot her. Um, I'm not able to bring up her name. But in January, mm-hmm. 
she was called because of, um, you know, suicide risk and, and it resulted in her losing her life. Mm. We need people who are trained again, um, from a life preservative standpoint. Right. Exactly. And so when we talk about that life preservative standpoint, we see that, like I said, policing has a majority of it is all this other stuff. Right. And then policing needs to be policing. So when I call you, there's a reason, there's a safety reason, there's a burglar, there's a murder, there's, you know, a rape, there's something that's going on that has to save the community from this person. And it's clear cut, active shooter. It is clear cut that we're calling you for this particular thing and you need to come up in force and you need to save, save the community and be supportive of the community. Why are we having you show up to a, a mental health crisis? Because if the person comes at you and they're mentally ill and they have a weapon, you're going to take them out. You're the goal of policing. And I want to point this out. This is to help police. This is to help in a sense, right? Because it takes things off their plate. It's a win-win is what he's it's saying. A Everybody benefits from this. It's a win-win because ultimately, because we can look at this through the guise of different sides. We can say one side goes, well, you know, our police officers can do it all. And then one side will go, well, we don't want our police officers doing it all. And you guys can fight all day long. But at the end of the day, who's coming up with solutions? Right. If we think our police officers can do it all, then they cannot be called police officers. They need to be called something else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just exactly. being honest. Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. Right. Because why would you be a police officer if you're doing all this other stuff that you are not trained for? And I want to also go over this. It's something we talked about with the Unity Collective and our, and our, our demands with the Unity March in June. Police officers do not have a college degree. I want to hear, say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> police officers do not go to school. Now that doesn't mean they're dumb. They're very, probably very smart people and they are rooted in policing. So that means if you're an 18 year old kid or a young man and you work out and do really well and you apply for the police force, it takes you probably a year to get in. You're going to go through an eight, 12, 16 week course. And they're going to give you a gun and a badge and they're going to send you out there and they're going to train you on the job, probably with a senior person who is probably rooted in this police culture and after about a number of years, you have trainings you're doing, but they're not the trainings you need to be doing, right? They're not on de-escalation. The, the use of force, force policy in most of these police forces, me and you talked about this, Jacob, are not 100%, right? right. Um, you, what are you being trained on? You're not trained in general diversity, I can tell you that. And you're seeing this world through the lens of policing and criminality. And now you're 35, you've been doing this for 20 years, and what? You didn't go to college. You didn't learn, understand psychology, sociology, philosophy, social work, anything that has to deal with people. You learn people through the guise of criminality. Yeah. Right? No, it's true, yeah. <laughs> and a big thing, um, like we can acknowledge this in Phoenix because the Phoenix Police Department has tried to introduce programs where they're working with social, social workers, um, where they're saying like, hey, we could have a, pol a police officer and some sort of crisis network um, person come out with us. Mm -hmm. But we're saying like, we don't want, especially in Phoenix, with all the stuff we've seen going on with the police department, <sighs> we're saying that we want a completely separate thing, like don't even involve the police at all. Right, yeah, right, right. Because having somebody out there, the police officers are still in charge of the scene. Once a police officer, people don't understand that sometimes, and maybe, and I had to learn this. Once a police officer comes on the scene, they, their goal is to get control of the scene and they are statutorily required to control the scene. Right. And if they have to arrest you, put you down, 
handcuff you, whatever they got to do, they have to get control. That's the first thing they have to do is get control of the scene. If an, if a community response person is with them, they don't have the authority to tell the police officer, hold on, wait, let me go in and have this. No, the police officer will say, no, my goal is to make everybody quote unquote safe and control the scene. Well, you're, what you're going to end up doing is handcuffing, maybe re-traumatizing the person that you're going to go help. And then after you do all this re-traumatization and your police badge, you're going to have a community, a community person next to you going, okay, now they traumatized you. How can we help you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now that you've been arrested and, and, and now that you're going to jail, how can we support you with your mental health support? No, it's backwards. That's backwards. Right? First, we should have the no cap go out, see what is necessary. If it gets to the point where they cannot de-escalate and they cannot support, my thought process is that there is an, a, a way for you guys to get the folks that need to come there to help out, right? Right, just, just like how if a fire, fire, fire department shows up to a, a fire and they see there's an arson, um, they're you know obviously going to call the police to catch the arson. Yes, but they're going to put out the fire. Or whatever. But yeah, and they're going to put out the fire. Um, <laughs> in, in rare cases, um, is it that um, the White Bird Clinic has had to defer to the police? Mm. And obviously, it's a small community. People would say it's, uh, but um, obviously, if you look at the numbers, extrapolate the numbers, whatever, like you can see that, you know, it, it would still comparably be the same out here. Mm -hmm. And this is from, you know, individuals who've spoken with uh, people who do this sort of work already in an unofficial capacity, mm -hmm. um, you know, because again, they're trained in this literal science of dealing with human behavior. Right. This is a behavioral health unit. Right. So, and they're educated in yeah. that, which is something and it's like, once again, this is nothing against the police officers, but you are not having your police officers have an associate's degree in psychology or criminology or sociology. Um, you don't have them have a bachelor's degree. So the expectation is how do you expect for them to be able to understand human behavior if they've never been exposed to it other than in, in the criminal form? Right. And there are people, social workers, people in education, people in uh, health care um, that are, are trained exactly for this. That is separate from the police force who can be the first responders. That's yeah. where that's where you're, uh, yeah, what you're first saying, responder right? units. Yeah. First responder unit, because yeah. if you don't think of it as a first responder unit, then you're not thinking of it as a separate first responder unit for the community. I don't know, and I haven't really taken a poll, but I don't know anybody who would be against this idea of yeah. wanting to help the community, right? It's universally applicable. Yeah. yeah. Um, an example of that also would be, I mean, we're also working closely with, as an example, we're working with uh, the Portland Street Response mm -hmm. Program as like a, a template, and they did a lot of research in their community Um putting out polls, doing uh, surveys and stuff. Mm -hmm. And even the police officers in Portland said they didn't want to do this type of work. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's pretty much like even people you think wouldn't like it, like police officers, they're saying they want this to happen just to get all this off of their plate. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah, and, and like, like you can see that here, even if, you know, you can see that here through the footage that's been released on news outlets mm -hmm. of, you know, issues involving officers uh, harassing and at times harming um, people from the unsheltered community. Right. Um, you know, the actions speak louder than words. And we've already seen 
their action and their words through their action, I should say. Mm -hmm. But in terms of it being universally applicable, um, because some people are going to attempt to politicize this, um, you know, there's things that different communities can can find important, you know. So like um, knowing that your uh, your elder elder relatives are going to be taken care of if something happens and they need to call the uh, call uh, uh, for a service check and they're not sitting waiting for 30 or 40 minutes mm -hmm. for an officer to happen to have availability to show up. Um, because it lightens their load, you know, but something that they don't want to do in the first place. Like the people speak of the opioid crisis. It is a universal issue. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, obviously, uh, since, you know, these units are trained with substance abuse and uh, knowing how to handle that from the standpoint of life preservation, um, you know, they're able to show up and tend to them. And, um, you know, if it does acquire higher medical assistance to go from there. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's there's 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 no way that this is not applicable on a universal scale in every district here in Maricopa County. And it's not about Phoenix, being on the right or the left. It's about being in the middle. So I'm here with Sam Meriton and Jacob Rayford, community organizers, leading community organizers on No Cap. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how do we fund this? How do we take action and get this? How do we mobilize to make sure that we can make no cap come to fruition in Phoenix, Arizona for the best of our communities as we serve our communities? The middle of Kenneth Smith. We'll be right back. Hey family, it's your girl Nia Stars. Now, with the political climate currently shifting, we saw a need to help our community find a way to keep their spaces safe and culturally supportive. My brother, Kenneth Smith, the founder of Unity America Consulting, saw the divide happening in the country and understood the need to help organizations. With that came the goal to provide consulting to businesses that see an opportunity to improve their awareness with today's social issues, such as women's rights, social consciousness, LGBT rights, and diversity and inclusion, and more. He provides a custom approach that allows your group to feel safe addressing these issues. He will also engage from an apolitical and supportive standpoint that encourages everyone to reach a unified goal. Now, if you're a business owner, teacher, or work in administration, you can visit his website to get more information. That's Unity America 2020 dot squarespace dot com again that's u-n-i-t-y america 2020 dot squarespace dot com and now let's get back to the show crisis assistance program that is brought to us by great community leaders. Our co-hosts today are um, Sam Merton and Jacob Rayford, yes. community organizers and leaders in this particular field. As you know, the, the middle always brings experts in the field to support uh, as a co-host so we can talk about and, uh, how we can support the community and the local community. And these two great gentlemen, as well as a, a, a coalition of people are working on mm -hmm. NoCap. Um, so first, let's ask who also is working on it. So we want to give them some credit for all the work that they're doing as well. So, um, so uh, Amy, well, 
So Grassroots Law Project is someone we're working really closely with. Yes. Um, our partner there, her name is Amy. I forget her last name though. Do you know Jacob? Um, I'm. Like we, we were off air. We were talking about how to pronounce each other's last names. <laughs> uh, so we're just gonna say Amy. Thank you very much, Amy. Uh, you have been um very instrumental in 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 some of the hardest parts of uh you know getting this off the ground. Um, so she, as a representative of the Grassroots Law Project mm-hmm. and equally as a member of this organization has been able to like kind of channel both worlds into, to, um, one movement and whatnot to bring so, it to policy, yeah, right? Absolutely. She couldn't be yeah. here, but we yes. have to definitely, you know, give her her roses. And you all have taken meetings with other people within the organiz within the city, right? Or within community organizers or nonprofits. So who are some people that are working with you, um, to get some of this community uh, crisis assistance program? Um, well, we've been, well, also, uh, Itoro, by the way, yeah, Dr. Dr. Toro <laughs> Elijah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Dr. Toro Elijah. She is also one of the leaders of the Unity Collective. Yes. Um, she is, uh, instrumental in the unsheltered community as well as the medical community. Mm. So she has been a great, um, a person to get um, information from, um, anyone else? Um, I mean, we, we, we have, uh, various colleagues and people who've expressed various levels of uh, mm-hmm. interest in either being, um, advocates or being boots on the ground with it. So, you know, you know we have, uh, the Phoenix local organizing committee, mm-hmm. uh, Phoenix LOC, um, we have what feed, feed Phoenix, feed Phoenix. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> some individuals from Phoenix pride, Phoenix pride, Phoenix um, pride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of the people we've talked to, but, um, Things are similar to where we've talked to. We've also talked to um, members of District Eight mm-hmm. and <clears throat> members of the Maricopa County uh, NAACP. Um, so you know, it's just all across the board. Whether it's um, you know official organizations, official institutions, um, you know um, people who um, represent like mutual aid projects, and just uh, you know ordinary citizens like us. Yeah. You know? So, so it's, it's it's literally a coalition of coalition of people, and yeah. so and also the Unity Collective, the yeah. Unity Collective Unity leadership Collective. that goes without saying, right? <laughs> <laughs> the Unity Collective leadership, um, uh, Janelle Woods from Black Mothers Forum, myself. Mm. Um, Atura Elijah, Sarah Tyree, um, Jacob Rafer is one of the leaders. We're also um, behind this project um, for a community assistance, a crisis assistance program. Um, and um, the Unity Collective has a broad range of activists as well as nonprofit organizations, as well as a lot of people that come together for the ending of systemic racism is our mission. So um, through action, and this is action right here. Yeah. This, is our, this is action. We don't say what type of action, but we say action. And yeah. this is the action we're looking for. So with all the, um, the community people you've involved in and all the Unity Collective people, it is a literally a building a great grand coalition to support the community by the community. Exactly. And that's the most important aspect. Um, oh, you were about to jump in, Sam. I was going to say, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want to um, also talk about how we can, first of all, how is this thing going to be funded? Because that's important because folks will be asking questions about, well, you know, you want to do this, you want to do that. And how's it going to be funded and where's it going to start? And so let's talk about it. Okay. How are, what is the idea right now? Cause I know there's, we, we're still listening to the community on how, where we're going to fund this out of. Is it going to be a nonprofit? Is it going to be something from the city? Is it going to be, tell us how will no cap be funded? So, um, yeah, we, right now, I mean, we have a uh, different, we've had different strategies since the beginning of it, um, mm-hmm. that has changed up over the time. But right now we're talking about, um, during the 2021 
budget meetings in Phoenix, there's a surplus of funds. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're asking for money from that to be used to create this program. Yeah, th- I mean, that way, you know, obviously, like, like we said earlier, like this is something that they're going to attempt to politicize. But, you know, just out the gate, you can't politicize it um, from the aspect of defunding the police because this isn't going to be touching the police budget. Right. You know, right. Um, th- you know like Sam said, this is a surplus of uh, millions that are going to be uh, available mm-hmm. uh, that uh, we are expected to meet at city council for and advocate for it being um, play or pushed towards this, the direction of this program. Okay. Um, so what we've been doing in, in working with the GOP is drafting a letter addressed to the uh, mayor and city council to inform them that we're aware of the uh, possibility of a crisis assistance program being funded, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, this is part of a, that was in response to uh, conversations that we initially had with, uh, with uh, Phoenix from municipal, municipal level. Mm-hmm. And then all, you know, that program was then um, reported to be incepted or getting ready to be um, brought to, you know, uh, members of the council and the greater public and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So we're aware of it being uh, of assistance program being funded and that we know that uh, there's a budget for such program. But this uh, this letter that I was uh, referring to, but also explain our goals for the, the program, list our demands and list every uh, Phoenix organization and individual in support of this idea. Um, and then before presenting the council with that letter, we'd um, send it out to all the organizations and basically make sure that everybody is un- under one accord. Because at the end of the day, you said it's by the community for the community. So um, ensuring that everybody uh, feels that they their stand that they're part of the, the community is represented is of utmost importance. Yes. And that's why we have a meeting that's coming up on um, the 20th. Uh, which is Saturday mm-hmm. and getting everybody under and kind of having that, that, that pre game, you know, uh, like brooding in the, in the huddle and right. just kind of discussing our strategies and things of that right. nature and then presenting that to the city. But everything is, is uh, pretty fleshed out at this point. And so oh, go ahead, Sam. Oh um, yeah. I was going to say like with um, talking to the community, like our strategy, um, if other people like, have ideas that want to weigh in on that. We're open to that as well. Absolutely. Um, we came to this conclusion because <clears throat> talking with Grassroots Law Project, they are really experienced with writing policy, pushing legislation through mm-hmm. in other um, cities. And in their experience, because our first strategy was creating our own legislation based on what Phoenix needs and presenting that to council. Um but as far as the time frame we have, just a few months until the budget meeting, it will be easier to see what they have going on. Like if they present their version of a crisis assistance program and modify it based on what we want, mm-hmm. which is what this letter, like the demands that we're listing, like we're saying, hey, we need all of this in any sort of crisis assistance program in Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. So so we're going to go to the city and ask them for funds to start this program. But they're, what I'm hearing is the city already has something in mind. Yeah. The city already has something in mind, but they haven't really went out to the community to they see not, what's yeah. in mind. Is that something that happens typically in the city of Phoenix where they kind of make decisions? and Absolutely. Unilateral do. decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Don't necessarily go to the community and ask or, or poll or do a survey on what is the need. 
because it seems like they got something else in mind, but you are the community. You guys are the community. You guys are majority of the community right now with, um, with the unity collective and the coalition you've built. It seems like the majority of the community. We are all, we are just, but conduits of, uh, you know, people's needs and concerns. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Again, that's why Sam was emphasizing uh, just making sure that everyone is, um, you know, on, on board and, you know, their, their ideas and strategies are, are, are recognized and, and whatnot. Because at the end of the day, this can be done and it will be done. And the from our understanding, um, since we brought this to the city to begin with um, and going as far as to, um, you know, provide the resource and method of communication for uh, uh, for a white bird. Um, you know, that, that is the product of the work of the community in the first place. So, you know, we just need to make sure that our voice and concerns are heard and implemented in these strategies. So, you know, let's say that it, it, it is put out and, you know, the city manager introduces a program, um, that doesn't meet our goals in this scenario our policy writers write an amendment, which is a, a whole new legislation composed exactly of what we want in the crisis assistance program. Or, you know, if the city in, uh, manager introduces a program that's in, that's close to what we want, but needs a few adjustments, uh, policy writers that make revisions and adding and removing content to have the legislation reflect our initiative. So, so that's what, that's where the rubber meets the road as somebody would say, right? Yeah. It's policy. And if you're not there for the policy, I know a lot of us who um, are listening to this podcast, you may have marched this summer, you may have voted in November, you may have knocked on the door and canvassed for a candidate, and that candidate may not have won at the state level. You may feel defeated in some ways and, and heroic in other ways because we were able to take care of some things at the federal level, but maybe not so much at the state level, right? You may be out canvassing for or Yasemin, who is in District uh, 8, oh, seven. 7, and she, you may be doing something like that, but... At the end of the day, policy is being written, and we have to be aware of how that policy is written, who's writing it, and is it the community writing it, or is it the city writing it? Yeah. And, and, and right now, we have the Grassroots Law Project helping to amend, modify, support the community and the community's concerns with no cap. Right. Absolutely. With the crisis assistance program. So that's something we have to be mindful of. When do you see that this will be something that's brought to the council on their next budget meeting? Because I know we'll hopefully have a new we will have a new council member for the, out of District 7 yeah. um, by then. When do you see them bringing this to the to the council and when should people be paying attention to? Um, so the city of Phoenix has yet to announce when the budget meetings will be. So this weekend, we are finalizing the letter that we will be sending out to everyone in our coalition to approve and sign on to. And in between then, so I guess like next week and up until when we find out the budget meetings are, that's the time where we're going to be presenting this, uh, meeting with city council members, really trying to get everyone on board with this idea. And then once we find out when the budget meetings are, We'll know the next step from there, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. something else that I wanted to bring up, if that's yes. all right, though. No, go ahead. So when it comes to establishing this type of program, a community crisis census program, other cities and other states have tried this in the same way we are with mirroring cahoots or mirroring the Portland response team. But we've learned that they failed because there wasn't community engagement. They just tried to create it um, just out of nowhere and present it. And there wasn't trust in the community and there wasn't really a like resources network established. Mm-hmm. 
So buy in. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to do is like make sure we have a good groundwork um, where all the commu- all different types of communities in Phoenix are on board and listened to, and they really have their voices heard in establishing this, which is um, not what the city of Phoenix is doing right now. Right. And that's what we're trying to stop. And so what, how can the community be heard when and how and where can the community be heard to be able to voice their opinion? They can do it on social media. They can do it by reaching out to you guys, but is there, is there a community forum that's happening? Is there? Yeah. So, um, March 20th, we're going to have a, a coalition meeting, I guess, mm-hmm. to where everyone can express their opinions and we sort of tell everyone like what we got going on at that point. Mm-hmm. Jacob, do you got anything else to say about that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you have any questions or concerns or you want to be a part of it, then we would really just, you know, it will behoove you to show up on March 20th. Um and we're going to have an online forum where we can all communicate. It, this is going to be on um, on Facebook um, under No Cap Phoenix. Um, of course, uh, we're you're easily accessible on uh, in Instagram as well. That's uh, uh, No Cap dot PHX. And then, uh, of course, if you're on Twitter, um, you can always communicate with us as well at um, just uh, at No Cap Phoenix, P- or No Cap uh, PHX, excuse me. Yes, and we'll also so, have the information shared on Unity for Arizona, the yeah. Facebook page. So if you'd like to add, come on to Unity Arizona Facebook page. Jacob Rayford always is posting stuff on there as long with all the other organizations to get information out. But definitely do go to No Cap and get the information. It's going to be a virtual event. I'm yeah, it's going to be a virtual event. So it's a virtual event, March 20th. What time? Um, so the, the time is to be determined to be determined. Um, okay. So what matters is to, to mark your calendars, but this is going to be March a midday 20th. event, March 20th. Um, All right. and it, it's, it's important that we have these conversations, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, even again, just to, to the, the dead horse, right. You know, um, this isn't, there's things that are specific to, uh, you know, the individual communities and there's things that are universally applicable. And because of those, the, the latter ones, like there's something that everybody, every community, every neighborhood can benefit from. Um, so uh, this is something that if we're going to look at it from like a partisan standpoint, the the left and the right, if you want to, you know, look at things from a bipartisan standpoint, can can agree on. Yes. Like we need this in our community. Yes. And, you know, if as long as we have people that are directly involved from the community um, in, involved in the actions, if this were to be something that that the city is going to take the initiative on, mm-hmm. um, that's how you create trust, like Sam said. So can continue to um, to beat up those algorithms by saying no mm-hmm. cap, saying community service um, and, and um, tagging the um, your mayor, tagging the. Uh, um, city manager Zerker, who uh, you know would have his hands on this. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure, especially right now, while um, the news is talking about some of these uh, people in the, in the municipal structure, uh, tagging them and letting them know that we're watching and we're expecting to be involved is one of the greatest ways we can show our influence as a community. So, just kind of recapping what we went over with no cap. All right, yeah. <laughs> is that you have a March twentieth meeting online. You're going to go to any of the areas. You're going to find them in no cap on all the different platforms, and you're going to need to be engaged as a community because this is where your voice is heard. I said it before. You went out and marched. You went out and voted. You went out and got involved. Now 
you have to pay attention to policy because how the devil's in the details and how it's written makes a big difference on how it supports your community. Sometimes we engage and then we disengage, right? Because we say, okay, we've done our part, but sometimes vigilance is our part. I'm sorry. It is one at 1 p.m. Okay, it was, it was literally just changed to 1 <laughs> okay. as, as we're talking. It's so. okay. Vigilance and accountability. Vigilance and accountability is our part as, as the citizens of Phoenix, the citizens of all of the world, really, uh, of America. And then definitely in Phoenix now, since you want to bring this to one of the, the biggest cities in, the, in the, the United States, it's important for us to continue to be vigilant and continue to be accountable. And this is another way you can do it. And it's a virtual event. So you guys can be in, you know, you can be at home. You can give your opinion. Uh, We all like to give our opinion behind the screen anyway. So you might as well do it, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And so uh, this is your opportunity to come in from any, from all walks of life to be able to support and to give your input into something that is going to benefit your community. If you're a person that's concerned about your, you know, property value going up and down. If you're a person that is concerned about opening a business, if you're a person that's concerned about um, your neighborhood preservation, if you're worried about um, anything that's happening with the unsheltered community or with drug use or opioids or trafficking or anything that is affecting your community, you need to be at this conversation. Absolutely. Because this conversation is like you said, universal. And if you don't believe it's universal, then that's, this is a call to action. Be a part of the universal conversation that's going to support your community. And don't look at this through the guise of right and left or partisanship because none of this supporting your community has nothing to do with partisanship. Yeah. Nothing to do with partisanship. It's much bigger than partisanship. And if you allow people to hijack something in your community and make it into something it's not, then you're allowing it and you're not basically seeing what you can do to serve your community. All you have to do is be present, be vigilant, and hold them accountable. Right? Yes. So we move forward in this. Now, the next thing is we're going to get it funded. So it's going to be a business, an organization, a clinic, a hospital. I mean, it's going to be a response team. How is it going to be categorized or housed? So, well, what we know right now is it's going to be a separate entity of first of a first responder unit, sort of like how it's the same category as um, the police, the fire department, stuff like that. Okay. Things are still up in the open, depending on what the community wants. Yes. As far as if we're going to collaborate with uh, local clinics, if it's going to be our own sort of hubs in Phoenix everywhere, um, right. that's something that we want to get the community's input on as well. Yeah, absolutely. So the thought is, um, again, so we're, we're needing input, right? Yeah. And the thought is, is that we're going to go wherever the community needs us to go. Absolutely. Right. right. In regards to also regards to how it's housed. So exactly. it's important. So when they have ideas about it, they have ideas. It can be a nonprofit. It can be an extension of a clinic. It can be a separate program. It could be a separate entity of the city. It depends on you, the community, to come in and say, hey, look, what do you guys, this is some suggestions or recommendations of how we can get things done. And so when it does get funded, it can be something that's long term. Because the idea of it is once you take your eye off the ball, they'll switch it and turn it into something else and get rid of it. Yeah. Also, in our legislation, what we're really trying to focus on is having a community engagement um, team, pretty much. Like, mm-hmm. So when we get this funded, it's not just going to um, appear with no community input. We're going to be reaching out to d- different um, communities and seeing like what really specifically needs to be done before we 
launching a type of program. Implement. So community, community engagement, community mm-hmm. input is a huge part of our legislation mm-hmm. as opposed to anything that the city manager would make who may not be, may not have any community input. It may just be appearing out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. And so I want to touch, touch on that too, is that even after we, you get to this point where you get the legislature, you get the policy written, they give the money, you're still in that exploratory phase. You're still going to be creating policy, creating statute, creating, going back to community, getting more information, how you guys are going to move forward, right? So even after it's done and funded, it's done and funded, you're not going to sprout up a, a, a no cap the next week. <laughs> it's not going to just sprout right up. You're going to, it's still some work you're going to have to do to get it off the ground. Is that accurate? Well, that's a, I guess that's kind of like a loaded question. It's um, okay. what I meant was like, we will be listening to the community during implementation, during implementation, yes, okay. during development. And so as we move forward, the goal is to be there for March 20th. The goal is to continue to follow no cap and make sure that they get the information they need and are aware of the city council meetings because it's not out yet. And I can tell you something about the city council budget. They're not trying to put it out early. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the goal of a city council budget sometimes. The goal is to get it out and, and as, as as late as possible so they can vote on it and move on. Exactly. Yeah. So we just have to stay vigilant. And, um, you know, just circling back to, like, involvement, you don't have to feel like you're an activist or the biggest protester or any revolutionary or uh, even just pol- politically informed. It, this this is just bare-bones community involvement, something that you would, you know, maybe need to, to rely on or somebody that you love may need to rely on. So mm-hmm. um, any of that, all those uh, pre-qualifications, throw that out the window. If you have questions and you want to know about the structure, show up. Like, you know, don't feel like this is something that you need some sort of expertise on in order to 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 uh, apply yourself. Like, we legitimately want to know what you think. Yes. And also, there'll be a forum at um, the Unity Collective has week, uh, monthly meetings. And the monthly meetings we have, um, uh, No Cap and Jacob Rayford is a leader of the Unity, one leader of the Community Collective, will be giving us updates on No Cap and where it's at and any kind of, um, you know, respect or what's going on with it. So you guys can give responses and you can give your comments in the Unity Collective meetings, general meetings as well. Um, The Unity Collective um, information will be on Unity for Arizona. So you have multiple ways to just getting involved. It doesn't have to be like like Jacob said. It doesn't have to be, uh, you don't have to be out there with with a sign. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what I always say, and this is something that they uh, the a polit- a political ad, they say is like, who do you at three o'clock in the morning? Who do you want to be able to be called to your home? Right. Something happens three a.m. in the morning. You know, if it's a burglar, you want the police probably. Right. But if it's, you know, your kids having a mental health crisis, who do you want? Who do you want to at your home? Do you want a social worker? Do you want a medical health professional? Or do you want somebody standing with a gun at your door? Yeah. And this is where the rubber meets the road. You really have to think parents and adults and all the people of the, of, of, of the city and the state. Who do you want to knock on your door at 3 a.m. in the morning? And I guarantee you, you're going to want somebody who's expert in mental health crisis, who's expert in giving you social services and social work, who's expert in counseling if your child's having a mental health crisis. And we just came out of a huge traumatic event with covid and with this race, right? Yeah. Those are two high trauma issues. And kids are experiencing things. Adults are experiencing things that they probably have, have experienced in their whole entire life. And everyone's been affected. And if this thing 
once this thing gets off the ground, no cap, then there is somebody there who's trained professional on how to support. We may find, and this is my prediction, we may find that this is the answer. Yeah. The answer to all the ails that are happening within our community. Um, and it is not just for the moment. It is, it is, it is, it is a long-term answer to how we can support each other without criminalizing the process. And, and that's what I believe you guys are looking to do. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that, that's legitimately, legitimately what this is about. Like we, we let in with this and we're talking about from the aspect of, you know, the ails of the community and, you know, police culture and stuff like that. This is a way to get on the offensive and create change. This is that what next, you know, like, and in, in, I think back to uh, the protests when like the, the news anchors and stuff ask questions and, and things of that nature. And, um, you know, I'd say this, this is, um, this is a way to pivot from, you know, this towards legislative change. You know, that's what protests are about. They're an entry point for legislative change is what I said verbatim. And I, I quote you, you say from the streets to the seats, you know, <laughs> from the streets to the seats. like this, this is how you enact change. And like the, the point of protest is to tell people that we have a problem. Mm-hmm. This is the honey, <laughs> babe. Right. 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 <laughs> you know, and then right. like, you know, and then from there you have that conversation and then you go through conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, this is that resolution. Yes. So this is exactly the things that we need um, in our community. We are Unity Collective, as well as myself and the, the host of the middle, <laughs> Kenneth Smith. We are behind this proposal. We need this in our community more than we need most things because it does support all people with all things that we need. And we know that there are some police officers who are out there doing their job and doing their thing. But we also know they need a break and we need to have our community taking care of our, each other ourselves. Right. If we're not looking at our, taking care of ourselves, then what are we taking care of? Right. If we're not looking to take care of our children. What are we taking care of? Right. And these are things that are important to us. So this is the middle with Kenneth Smith. I want to say thank you to our co-host. Jacob Thank Rayford. You. Thank you. We have a call to action. We know how it's going to be taken care of. We know the things that are going to be done and what needs to be done from policy standpoint. Sam Merton, excellent job bringing in um, uh, the grassroots prop law project and Amy, we appreciate you, even though you, you, you're here in spirit. Yes. Um, we appreciate it to Elijah being there as a, as a great consultant and people Absolutely. who are supporting the community. Um, it takes a coalition of great people to come together um, and strip away all the other issues in order to come together to do the right thing. Yeah. And this is what it's about. So I want to thank you all. Any last words before we close it out? Uh, March, March 20th, one o'clock, make sure you're there. Facebook. Um, and yeah, again, you can contact, contact us, uh, um, facebook.com slash, uh, no cap PHX Instagram, uh, no cap, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, Facebook.com slash no cap PHX Instagram, no cap dot PHX and Twitter, no cap PHX rewind it if you need it again. All right. And Sam, he's the talkative one. So go ahead, Sam. <laughs> I mean, he pretty much summed it up. Yeah. Uh, March 20th is our coalition meeting and no cap PHX on social media. All right. So we want to thank them. One thing about we here, what we do here in the middle is we bring 
proposals. We bring things. We do things from what's going to support the community no matter where you're at or what you do. It's about being the middle with Kenneth Smith. So as we go out, we want to say thank you to our co-hosts who are experts in their field and wonderful at what they do. And we appreciate you loving us and appreciating us. And this is The Middle with Kenneth Smith. Thank you.